Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I welcome back Christopher Hopper. Chris is back to discuss the crazy world of Salesforce recruitment with me, and we cover a range of different topics, including how many interviews people should be attending. We delve into counter offers and also look at what companies need to do if they're not finding talent for their roles. So I really enjoyed the episode. I hope you get some value from it. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Chris Hopper, thank you for coming back. And I think I need a Salesforce recruitment therapy session. And whenever I need that, you're the man I go to. Awesome, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's great to, to chat with you again. I think we both need some, some therapy at times. So it's always good having these conversations just to let us vet our frustrations and tell everyone else who's willing to listen about what we do and challenges we're facing and some of the challenges that you as a Salesforce candidate or job seeker might be facing as well. Yeah, definitely. And there are lots of challenges in the market at the moment. I think it's it's safe to say the market has gone bonkers. So is the, the demand just as insane in, in the US as we're finding it in Australia? It is. This year, you know, I've been in the industry now five years, a little bit over five years now. This year has been by far the, the most demanding as I've ever seen it, the most competitive. You know, getting people to respond to emails or phone calls or emails has been has been a challenge for me and it may have been maybe for, for you as well as any other recruiter i think so many candidates right now are probably sick and tired of us getting reached out to and they probably can't filter out one recruiter from the next or one position from the next so that's kind of a challenge for us to have them respond to our message versus someone else's but yeah to answer your, your question is this year has been completely off the charts compared to what I've seen in the past. Yeah, I've found it interesting that, you know, it's not difficult now. And and really in the Salesforce ecosystem, there's always been like a level of client that has been entertaining recruiters because, you know, they need them for hiring staff. But in this market at the moment, it's crazy how many, like the outbound messages are coming from hiring managers rather than the recruiter engaging with the hiring manager and, and you know, looking to win their business. And I'm finding it interesting that you know, some companies have historically not used recruiters and have tried to do it all themselves and now really badly positioned in the market because they don't have relationships with recruiters. So like they're reaching out to recruiters, like, can you help? And the recruiters already have too much demand. So they're like, they're now at the back of the queue. That's right. That's right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's, that's the case. And, and I get, sometimes I get companies that want to reduce the recruiting fees too. And you know, I'm not really willing to do that at this point. It's, it's just too hard, right? And some people may say our job is easy, but it is not easy. And it takes a lot of time, a lot of frustrations. Sometimes we want to jump out of our window. And so sometimes clients want to utilize our services at a reduced less than market value service fee. And if I was willing to take that, then they would probably end up falling to the bottom of, of the queue as well as far as helping them because I have other clients that are willing to pay the kind of go and market for our fees. A lot of times I just tell them, I'm sorry, I'm not willing to negotiate this fee structure. It is too hard. It's too demanding. And it's too much of a time draw for me to work on something that's going to be less than what another client is paying. I'm not sure if you're experiencing that or not, Ben. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And also, I think 
for me, it's it's yeah, fees are are important, but also you want to be able to like confidently represent a client. So like, what I want to know is like, what's exciting about this role? You know, what what is actually going to excite candidates? And I've had people, companies reach out and, and if they can't answer that question, like what, you know, why would someone want to work at, you know, company ABC, then how can I, like, how can I then take that to the market and say, you know, you should really join this company because how can I confidently say that if the employer can't themselves? And, you know, that, that for me is really important, like being able to partner with people that I would want to work for myself. For sure. For sure. I, I completely agree with that. And I, I tell prospective clients that I'm a very consultative type of recruiter. And if you're willing to have that type of loyalty and conversation with me up front along, along the process of recruiting, then it can be a good partnership. But if you are putting this need out to me and 15 other recruiters and not having conversations and just want to use a generic job description and send that via an email and be done with it, I'm probably not the right person for the job. And that's fine. You know, at the end of the day, the company and the, and the internal hiring manager and, and team need to do what they need to do to fill the role. And so it doesn't always have to be a perfect relationship. And if it's not, then it's not, we'll go our separate ways. You know, the one thing I kind of learned is if I have a client that wants to start to bring down the fees on the recruiting side, are they going to also want to take those same tactics with the candidates I put in front of them? Right. And so it sets a little bit of a bad precedent, at least in, in my mind, as far as if they're going to treat me the same way they would treat the hiring process and the negotiation process and the salary offering process with the candidate itself. So right or wrong, that kind of just is a way that I can try to identify who is a good match and who isn't. Sure. From that perspective, like a good match and not being a good match. One thing I found recently, which I like I've had a bit before, but more recently, I've had quite a lot of candidates that are reaching out to me directly um, and people that I, I'm not even working with. Right. So, you know, in, in some cases, I've never even spoken to these people before and they'll message me and they'll say, I've accepted a role with X, Y, Z. And have I made the right decision? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, first off, don't take a don't take advice from people you've never spoken to before, like a complete stranger, because I, I have no idea about your personal situation. I have no idea about your skill set, you know, and this is like a LinkedIn message. And then they'll be like, but I had offers from, you know, this company and I decided to go with this one. Did I make the right decision? And sometimes it'll be companies that I've worked with and, you know, I can, I can give my honest assessment of a company. Sometimes it'll be companies I've never worked with. And, you know, I, I can just say, you know, I've got no experience with that company, but how would you recommend people do make assessments on a company and if they're right or wrong before they join them, like going through that yeah, process? That's, that's the funny part is like, they've already joined. I mean, what's the point now as far as asking you what your thoughts are? Like, why did you do that? You know, no, you shouldn't have joined them. And now you really put them in a bind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I, I do have people reach out to me and, and ask me about my opinion or what have I heard just this, this past week. They say, you know, one thing that they asked for, and I, well, I've kind of thought of it as it'd be nice to have a portal out there or a website as far, and I know there's Glassdoor here in the US and maybe it's there in Australia as far as hearing about companies and culture and just having people write summaries about their experience there. So that's one thing that comes to mind, but usually people reach out to me prior to making a decision and say, Chris, I see you're connected to these three people at company X, Y, and Z. Do you know them personally? Do you mind doing a LinkedIn invitation between us? I would like to hear a little bit more about their side, about what they're doing, about you know why their company is a good position, why the, the position that they're offering is, is something in the right direction for me or not. 
I usually don't get folks to reach out to me after the fact, but definitely in the decision criteria, people reach out to me from time to time and, and say that they're debating between company A or company B. Sometimes it's industry versus consulting, right? They say, well, you know, I have a, I have a company that's an in industry offering me this position at this salary, and I have another consulting company offering me this position at this salary. You know, what are your thoughts? And I say, you know, here's what I would do if I were you. I mean, that's the only way I could do it at a very high level. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know about your personal financial situation. I don't know enough about your career aspirations, but at a very LinkedIn conversation level, it's like, well, based on where I see the market, I would almost always choose consulting over anything else. If you have the luxury and the determination and, you know, I guess, don't have a lot of social life. There's different things with consulting. That's just another world in its own that you have to understand and respect. And I've always told people that if they have a chance to work in consulting, if their personal life allows them to do it, I would advise them to do it. Like I've been through it. It was great in my twenties and early thirties and got married, had a family, not so easy anymore. Right. I just have other priorities in my life that don't allow me to spend the amount of time and dedication I would on a consulting engagement. Like I used to, again, that's, my personal recommendation and advice based on what I've been through. And that's kind of the only way I can speak to it is based on what I know and experiences that I've had myself. It's interesting because I, f- I feel like the consulting world in the US is so different from the consulting world in Australia. And, and like, obviously there are similar cases. Like I know one guy that was a partner at a consulting firm and he was flying from Sydney to Perth every week which is like right. a five hour flight and returning weekends and flying out again. Like he did that for a whole year. So right. that's like the extreme. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of like US based consulting and that kind of like you're, you're in a plane, you're living out of a suitcase. Whereas in Australia, you know, you, you typically are working in the same state. So like, and, and most of the work in those states are centralized around the city. So, you know, if you're a Sydney based Salesforce developer, you're working in Sydney 99% of the time. And there's the odd case, you might have a project in, in WA where the Western Australia where, where you might not have a team. So you might have to you know work on some funky hours occasionally. But consulting here is less about travel and being away. And, and like, I think just the, the lifestyle here means like there will be cases where you're working long hours, mm-hmm. but it's nowhere near as, as that extreme as I, I hear it is over there. Yeah, and, and maybe I just have had some bad experiences, right? I mean, with my projects, most of them were were like that, right? And a lot of companies, especially things have changed, obviously, with COVID, but, you know, companies, consulting companies are going to put you on a project where they need you, right? And so you don't have, and I posted about this, I think, earlier this week or late last week, as far as if you're coming in new, you don't really have the luxury of choosing what project and what city and what technologies you want to work on. It's like, you're almost at their beck and call, so to speak, quote unquote, to be able to, to do what you need to do and go where they need you to go and do the, you know, the projects that they assign you to. That's just the reality. And that's why you're getting paid, I think, a little bit of a premium to be able to accommodate that type of scenario. Now, the slums of the world in the U.S. So, again, that's 10 years ago when Accenture, when slums started to come pretty strong, they were offering local projects for most and no travel. Right. And, and so they were able to recruit a lot of folks from the Deloitte's, the IBM's, the Accenture's of the world, because it kind of guaranteed the consultant or the manager that they wouldn't have to get on a plane every week and gave them a little bit more work life balance for those that were trying to make that shift in their personal lives. But now that COVID hit, it's like almost 
all remote for the most part, as far as what I can tell. So travel is limited now. I don't know if we'll go back to that someday or not. So the dynamics of consulting have changed a little bit. And the reason that I enjoy consulting is because I enjoyed going to different client sites. I enjoy the travel. I enjoy the airline miles. I enjoy the hotel points. Like all that stuff was a, a bonus to me. I didn't have anything holding me back at home. And I, I was kind of a bachelor living out of a suitcase in New York City and, and all over the world at times. And so it just gelled well with where I was in my career and my personal life. Yeah, that makes sense. And like, I think you you really probably never truly know exactly what a company is going to be like before you join. Like, how can you, right? You've never worked there. You don't know. You, you, you spend maybe like three hours going through interviews with people. You get to meet a few different people. So I, like my, my issue with Glassdoor is that people like they, they might read a, a, a bad comment and that might be from like a salesperson that didn't hit their target in that quarter and, and, you know, was put under some pressure and they felt, you know, the culture wasn't great, but then you're working in an engineering team that you know, sits nowhere near that sales team. And you would have the best manager ever in, in that engineering team. And, and you're using someone else's comment about a completely different team, completely different culture in that team. And, and, and that's my only issue with that. Like you need to look at actually the team that you're in and, and, you know, the work they're doing. I think t- turnover is a really important factor. Like if you look at, a consulting firm or a customer and, you know, go on LinkedIn and look at when have people left? How long had they been there? Like did loads of people leave at one point? Like did five people from the Salesforce team all leave at once? And, you know, if, if they did, where did they go? Like follow that path. And I think that can paint quite a good picture around what you're getting into. Sure. There's always, there's always going to be edge cases on Glassdoor or whatever the case may be. Like you, you can work for a company and they decide to no longer use Salesforce and the whole Salesforce team gets dismantled and gets laid off. Right. And so that happens, you'll probably see a bunch of bad comments on last door about how they were treated because of the particular environment they were in. Again, it's hard to get a good reading on any company just through a few reviews on last door. And to your point, it's like, there's so much more involved with those details that are often just left out. And I think having good, quantitative conversations with individuals that used to work there would hopefully give you a little bit more substance to it. So what, what if you join a company and you hate it? Cause it happens, right? It happens. It happens more than, than we would like to think. And a lot of times I think that where they, where the individual goes, there was a certain plan in place or thought of, and the position was this and what was told to them it would be. And then they start, and something happens between the position that was originally identified and communicated and them starting internally something, I mean, it has to be something internally has changed to cause the position to be something different than what it was. And so without being transparent about what's changed, I guess the employer's thinking, well, we'll let it ride, right? And we'll see yeah, what yeah. happens. This person would join. Hopefully they'll be able to uh, adjust accordingly and still be happy. And you know, a lot of times that just doesn't work out that way, right? You know, I see that sometimes in the consulting space too, as far as they've identified a client that the consulting company needs help on and that individual gets hired for that particular project and then that project doesn't go through as planned or they're told there's no travel and they end up having to travel or they're told to work, they'll be working in one industry and they're working in a different industry or one set of Salesforce products and it becomes a different Salesforce product. So there's a lot of variables that come into play between what was originally identified as the key pieces of that offer and that position and and what ends up happening once they start. Having some frank conversations with the employer to understand 
their perspective, the, the employee's perspective. Like, here's how I'm seeing it, right? This is what we've talked about in the past, and this is what I'm doing now. Is there, do you see any changes happening in the near term to get me back on the path that we originally discussed prior to me starting, right? And I think having that frank conversation should help, you know, but right now the current market conditions, people don't have a problem jumping ship because of them not seeing anything in the near term that will get them back on track to where they currently are, right? And sometimes it takes a couple months to write it out and find out what happens and see if it does change. But at some point, you know, I think their personal career satisfaction can only be string along for so long before they have to make some vast decisions and before they feel like they're getting, you know, thrown a couple lines of BS for too long before making some personal changes themselves. So I think to answer your question, Ben, is like having frank conversations with the internal executive team and management team to find out what, where they're going, where they're headed, and see if it helps build your confidence that you can get back on track to where you originally planned to be. And if not, then, you know, you might have to just start to put some fillers out elsewhere. And this happens a lot. I mean, I don't want to come across as like this being edge cases because I hear about it, I guess, more than not hearing about situations like this happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the key, the key is like have that conversation up front. And if you can't see that anything is going to change, or if there isn't a commitment that, you know, yeah, we realized that you joined because of this and, and actually it's turned out to, to be completely different, but this is what we're going to do to make it better. Um, if they can't give you that commitment, then obviously, yeah, it's a good time to start thinking about other options. Form building can be a tedious and complex process when collecting loads of data for enterprises. Solve this issue with ease through Form Assembly, an all-in-one secure web form builder with a robust Salesforce integration. This seamless web-to-lead form building connection boasts features including sophisticated data collection, the option to pre-fill forms, create and update records, and more. Their advanced compliance standards offer prime solutions for companies in the government, FinServe, healthcare, non-profit, and higher education spaces. Visit www.formassembly.com forward slash talent hub to find out why FormAssembly is the number one enterprise form building platform for Salesforce and how it can be customized to fit the needs of your company. And this leads me into the next point around like the importance of covering your bases with your current employer before you do start looking out and start like looking at opportunities because there are so many opportunities out there in the market. But the company you work for right now might be perfect for you if they can just make a couple of changes. So I, I've um, I've put posts up. I've I've even recorded a podcast on my own talking about how to get a pay rise without resigning. And I feel like now people really need to think about you know if they're only looking out for a job because of one factor can they get that from their current employer? So, you know, is it a salary thing? Like if, if your current employer was to give you an extra $10,000, $20,000, however much, would you stay? If they were to say you could work from home five days a week, would you stay? If they were going to pay for you, I know um, healthcare is big over there. I think, I don't know if companies pay for it anyway, but if they offered to pay for that, would you stay? Like all of these factors, think about that before you start looking out for a new job. And then if, it, if it's just one thing that, that isn't going how you want it, my advice is always go and have that conversation with your manager before you start interviewing for other jobs, because it will save you so much time, stress, anxiety, you know, just like, I think people like the idea of going and seeing what they can get in the market, mm-hmm. but you don't have to, if you can get it where you want to be. And that's where you already are. 
That's right. That's right. And you don't always, and we talked about this in the past, like you don't know if the grass is always greener, right? It may, it may look like it's greener. It's a better situation, a better setup for you. But if your current employer is meeting nine out of the 10 marks, do you really want to risk that one piece of not having a conversation and go somewhere and it, it looks all shiny and, and glamorous over there and you get over there and it's like, man, I should have just stayed where I was at. It wasn't that bad. I should have had a conversation with my employer to see if they could adjust this one or two little things and, and, and be done with it. And I think that tends, people tend to jump the gun, I think more so. And I know these conversations aren't easy to have with, with management teams as far as getting to the table and, and having a frank conversation about where things you would like to see change and see if they will go. You know, I, I have I have contractors that come to me that are working for me right now and, and not working for me, but working on the clients that I support and they're asking for a pay raise. And I, and I tell them, I said, well, right now, I think you're currently in your, your range right now is in market, the market range. But if you're looking for a pay raise, okay, I'll go to the employer and, and ask them what they can do and report back to you. So in the contract, it's a little bit different because I end up being that broker and that middleman for these conversations. Yeah. And maybe there's an opportunity there to, for us to be part of that conversation on the, on the perm side too, Ben, where I mean, you can be those conversationalists and those brokers in between the employer and the employee to help negotiate you know, their compensation or whatever struggles they're running against. Because some of, some people just don't like and get anxiety from those types of conversations. I completely get that. But I also feel it's really, really an anxious time resigning. You know, no one likes resigning unless you hate your boss. If you hate your boss and you really, truly hate your company, then, then resigning is probably a great feeling. But I would much rather go to someone and say, look, I feel that I'm underpaid by $10,000 and and this is the research that I've done that, that shows that that's the case. And this is what I've achieved over the last 12 months in this role. How do you feel about a pay rise? And then, you know, if they say no, then I'd be much more comfortable resigning in a month's time when I've gone out and found that role that's going to pay me $10,000 more, rather than going to them and saying, you know, they're out of the blue. Have you got 15 minutes? Can we have a quick chat? Like the worst conversation ever. And then saying to them, I've got another offer. And they're like, well, why didn't you talk to me about this? Because we could have paid you $10,000 more. And then they pay you $10,000 more and you end up staying and you've had this whole awkward situation where, you know, they know you've gone out looking for another job. Probably a recruiter has been burnt through the process where they've helped you find another job and you, you're now going to go against it and accept the other role. The other company that we're going to hire, you have had a bad experience. Like overall, it's just so much easier to have that conversation up front. But people just don't want to do it. They think they have to have that kind of fallback option of another offer just in case their employer doesn't want to give them what they want. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Like, I have people, contractors tell me they're getting other offers. They want to stay put. And so they need to have those conversations. And, and, and employers need to reach out to their people to say, am I at risk for losing you? Do we need to have, maybe that's the other side of the story, Ben, is like having the employers be the proactive and reach out to their employees to make sure their expectations are being met. Because I can almost guarantee you, if you have self-sort experience a few years under your belt, you're at high risk of losing your people if they're not 100% happy because they're probably getting pinged all day, every day about new opportunities. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely on the employer as well to ensure that you know the people are still learning, growing, uh, being paid what they, they're worth. But there are always going to be cases where, you know, like an employer um, doesn't have the budget initially, like they, they, you know, they, they haven't been given the budget to be able to provide pay rises. So 
they need to be creative around how they keep that that person engaged but they might just not be able to come and say like i need to pay you 10k more to keep you happy but if you then have that conversation with them they can then you know say well i've had this conversation i'm worried that this person might start looking out and i can't afford to lose them so i need to be able to pay them the money they're looking for so yeah i think it's there's a business case on both sides right the the, the business need to put forward a business case to keep that person engaged but you need to put forward a, a business case for yourself around well, why should you be paid more um, you know, what are you achieving? I, th- I think there's just two sides, but the, the worst side for me is when someone just goes looking for a job that they don't really want just to lure their current employer into giving them something that they, they could have probably got if they just asked for it. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it creates a bad precedent from that point forward almost. It's like, well, we know that as soon as this person isn't happy or something falls off the, the, you know, the rails for a brief moment of time, they're ready to jump ship, which an employer usually doesn't want someone like that to be part of their organization either. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the argument around never kind of accepting a counter offer. Right. But uh, right. we won't, we won't go into that, but, but on, on the topic of like not burning bridges, right. So um, probably the most well-known um, Salesforce professional in Australia put a post up this week saying uh, like a, a senior, senior person in a consulting firm said that I think it was along the lines of we're at the point in the Salesforce market where people aren't turning up on their first day of employment. Now, I can't think of a worse way to burn a bridge than that. No, I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I guess what's happening is they had another offer and they accepted that one, didn't decide to go back to the previous offer and tell them they weren't accepting. And now they're supposed to start and they didn't start. And so the employers scram and find out what happened and can't get a hold of the individual. And now it's just kind of a, a cluster as far as what went down there. But my assumption is that's typically what the situation is like as far as a a, a candidate not telling the employer they in fact didn't start and and something that I do when I get someone starting or is about to start I'm checking in and I think you posted about this in the past as far as a lot happens between an offer being made and an individual starting right I mean sometimes we have two or three weeks time frame and so our job as a recruiter at least I feel like as our job as recruiters often to check in with that individual to make sure they're still lined up to commit. They got what they need. They got a start date. They got the onboarding paperwork. They've done the background check. All those things that have happened between those two pieces of time frame to make sure the deal sticks together like it was intended to. It's a, there's, a, there's a really well-known recruitment trainer in Australia that calls that period of time the valley of death. <laughs> which is so true right and I think for me like it, you know the recruiter plays a key role in, in making sure that that person's engaged and you know is going to start but I think it's so much harder um, for a candidate to pull out of a role if they have some sort of relationship with the hiring manager even if that's just they've gone back and forth on a couple of emails or you know because then it's like it's not just someone they interviewed with once it's someone that they've they've you know has been welcoming them into the team and and making them feel like excited and engaged and part of the team i think so so yeah i think it's that's such a key even if as soon as they sign the contract send them an email say i'm saying just i'm I'm really happy you've signed so excited to have you in the team i'm not going to get under your feet for the next four weeks or two weeks in the us but reach out to me if you've got any questions and i'll touch base with you again in a couple of weeks time see how things are going and then a couple of weeks time just reach out say you know is there anything i like i need specifically to order you obviously we're getting you the laptop but is there anything else you need you know like how much harder is it then for someone to say actually yeah you've ordered my laptop you've ordered me that headset i asked for but now i'm not going to turn up to work right right and you don't you know they get the offer letter 
and they may have signed it. I'm assuming they signed it. And then they went back to their employer and gave the notice. And that conversation is being had behind closed doors. You don't, you know, that, the previous employer may say, hey, what's that offer like? We'll counter that. Would you be interested? They say yes. And then they're still staying where they were, where they originally were and just like let everything else fall apart as it may on the other side of the house. Which, yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes as recruiters, you know, we don't, we work for free unless we place somebody, right? That's just the, the, the work that we do. And it's interesting because we, we place somebody here in Houston and uh, he starts in, in, in a few weeks and we invited him out to lunch and he declined our lunch offer. I'm like, oh no, does that mean that he's not going to join like we thought he was? And so we get this anxiety along the way too, as far as what's happening with this candidate. They accepted the offer. They said they're going to start and now he won't let us treat him lunch. Is, is he really going forward with this offer? What's happening? Um, and, and so that's just kind of a, a, a silly example that I wanted to bring up. But you know, we have someone starting and I checked in with him this week as far as do you have your laptop, did you get your onboarding paperwork, and just to make sure that that tie is still connected between a candidate and the employer. Yeah, and I, I've got a guy starting next week and I've placed this guy before and I texted him yesterday just saying like, how's everything going? Like, have you got your laptop? And he was like, ha ha, you think I'm going to accept another role, don't you? <laughs> so I, I think people know this is the anxiety in the market. <laughs> You're right. And come on, I mean, we're not you know, we're trying to be sensible about this situation, but we understand the market, right? We understand candidates are getting broadsided left and right daily about new opportunities. So, you know, our job is to fulfill an obligation, right? A client asked us and we have a certain level of personal responsibility to help them get the candidate started. And we're doing everything in our power to make sure that deal is is, is done and they start on the day they're supposed to start, right? And, you know, I think sometimes people think, well, you're just out for yourself and making the commission and what do you really care? I'm like, there's a lot more to it than, than that. And we need to constantly make sure both parties align across the entire process for this to be a very trustworthy relationship. Yeah, and that's, that's key. Trust is like just, you know, as soon as you lose trust with someone, it's really difficult to reestablish that. And, and that's on both sides, right? Recruiters have a lot of responsibility around doing the right thing and, you know, being trustworthy as well. But it's, it's a partnership, right? We're all humans. It's a three-way partnership when you're, you're in recruitment. You, you're trying to keep the client happy. You're trying to keep the candidate happy. And, uh, and you're the middle man or, or woman through that process. So it, it is tough. But I, I feel that there are easier ways. Like if, if you don't want a job, no one will ever you know, I've never pressured someone into taking a job at all in, in my recruitment career. I, I feel, you know, if they don't want the job, there's no point in pressuring them to take it because they're not going to last. The only time I've ever really been frustrated is when someone will take the job and then, you know, they come back later and they're like, oh, now I don't want it. I've got something else or because that's like, there's a certain level of like commitment and, and your word, right? If you've given your word and and someone, you know, and, and I think one thing that rec- um, candidates sometimes don't think about I had this situation recently where a candidate accepted a role, they resigned from their job, and then a week later, they then accept a counter offer with their current employer. And what, what I feel had happened in that week was that the, the current employer had realized it's going to be really hard to replace this person based on what we found in the last week. Therefore, we need to now make a counter offer. But then the other side of, of what the, the candidate doesn't think about is that the new employer had interviewed, like, let's say five people. And they'd chosen him as the, the the person they want to hire. So they then make the offer, he accepts it. 
and they tell four other people that they didn't get the job. So a week later, when that person now says, right, I'm not accepting the job, that company are now at square one again. They've got to start the whole recruitment process again because they've told four other people they didn't get the job. They've probably gone and found four other jobs. Like, there is a big knock-on effect of that. And that's when it can be frustrating as a recruiter because you know, had they just said that they wanted to stay with their current employer because, or they'd had that conversation around salary and things up front, then there wouldn't be that frustrated partner that we, in a client that you've got to try and manage. So yeah, from my side, that's that's the only time it's ever really um, frustrating. So like, do you think people should be interviewing for loads of jobs or should they be quite selective? Right. And, and I think it really depends on where you at in, in your career. Like, so if you're just starting out, I think the more at-bats you can get, the better, right? And I'm not saying for it to be, because interviewing is exhausting, right? Especially if you're working. If you're working and also interviewing, you know, it's... It's a, it's a tap dance you have to do between understanding your current obligations with your current employer and trying to find times and pockets to be able to interview with other employers. Now, if you're unemployed and are just starting out, for example, in the Salesforce space, then I think the, the, the more the better within reason. I mean, you're, you're not going to have a whole lot of opportunities coming your way if you're brand new, but if you have three, four, five different positions that you're interviewing with, I would say, you know, Go, go to town with those because just that's will be a better experience than interviewing and not all of them will come through for you. And some of them, you know, won't even be an offer on the table, but you got to get at least your at-bats in in order to have some pitches to swing at. Now, if you're experienced and currently working, I mean, how much additional time do you have to be able to interview, right? I'd say at most top two or three positions uh, would be the, the most that I would, I think would be reasonable for you to, to go through the interview process with just to fill the companies out, hear what they have to offer, hear the type of setup and opportunity it is. And then if some of those fizzle out, maybe bring a couple more into the pipeline for you. But I just don't see it being very easy to do to be able to balance your current position along with, you know, 10 different companies that you're interviewing with because they're all going to be wanting your time and sending out emails to you and texting you and calling you for interviews. And, you know, do you really have time to be able to do that and still be you know, morally obligated to work on your your current project and your current setup with your current company. Yeah, agreed. I, I think like the the more junior you are, the more of a volume game it is. Like you said, I, I love um your your the American um side of um, at bats. Like I think that's that's absolutely true. Like you need volume because it's a lot harder to to secure a role. So you know, if you're turning down interviews as a, a relatively junior professional, especially if you haven't got like practical Salesforce experience in the past. Like you're missing out on opportunities, but then it becomes more of a quality thing as, as you get more senior, right? So the volume requirements disappear and it's like, you know, there's a high likelihood you're going to get an offer if you're an experienced Salesforce professional. If you go for an interview, you know, you're probably one of maybe two or three candidates that are going for that role. Like sometimes if, if it's consulting, they'll maybe find more than one job if there's good candidates for, for those people. So, you know, you've got a good chance. And then I think it's really about being selective and understanding. Like actually, and I put a post up again this week about transparency. So like be really transparent with what you actually want. Because then if if you're if someone says to me, I really want, you know, five days a week, it has to be from home, I won't go to the office, then I'm only ever gonna take them jobs that are, will give them that that flexibility. You know, but then as soon as that person starts interviewing for jobs that, you know, will only allow three days a week at home but that's not what they want, then what's the point? You know, it's like, you're, you, it's not, there's no, you don't need the interview experience. You don't need to, you know, drag your, your time out more, like just go for the jobs that are going to give you what you want. And, and yeah, I think that's really important. Like just be selective. Yeah. I just had an architect this week send me 
of Bull to the List. Hey, Chris, thanks for the opportunity. Does it meet this criteria? This is what I'm looking for. Salary, bonus, work from home, healthcare benefits, and a couple other things, right? So he's an architect, right? I mean, he gets to say what he wants in this economy right now and be picky and choosy about it. And I said, you know, I, I think we're, we're meeting nine out of 10, the 10th piece being the healthcare. I need to find out from the employer exactly what the healthcare benefits to make sure it meets your expectations, but we're, we're not far off right now. And so the more, and he, you know, this individual probably has his bullet to list already saved in a file for him. So whenever a recruiter reaches out to me, he just copies and pastes it. And by all means, you know, that helps us. So if this opportunity isn't the right one, I'm not going to waste his time and try to shoehorn it in to have talk to the employer anyway, because come on, I mean, we have a level of dignity in our job too, as far as making sure it's a good fit for both ends. And, uh, you know, if he had his bullet to list and we only mean two of those, I'm just like, you know, sorry, Mr. Architect, we're only, we're only hitting two of these 10. I'll keep you in mind when I get something that's a little bit more satisfying to what you're looking for. And I think it's good for candidates to tell us what, what they want so we can understand it and not waste anyone's time along the way. Yeah, like I'll say to like a, a candidate will, will get in touch and I'll say, what are you looking for? Mm -hmm. uh, what a uh, big open question, right? And I, I then lean, sit back in my chair and I'm, I'm expecting to be listening for 10 minutes, right? This is what I want. But the, the first answer is like a Salesforce developer role. And I'm like, I can tell that because you're a developer, but what are you looking for? Like, how do I differentiate one job to another, like to tell you what's going to be good for you? And it's like, you know, I think people really need to think about that. What do I actually want? You know, what is really important to me? What are my non-negotiables? And then what are my kind of like would be nice to haves? And, um, and be really clear on that because, you know, then if I bring you an offer and it's not in your non-negotiables, it doesn't meet that, then, you know, I've done, my, I've done the wrong job. You know, I've, I've not done what you've asked of me. If you don't know what you want, tell me what you don't want and I'll make yeah. sure to shield you from those opportunities. You got to tell us something like, and it's got to be more than a Salesforce developer. It's got to have some substance to it one way or the other. We can't just play this middle line forever because, and I think sometimes candidates are scared to say that because they're willing, they're, they're scared that it may miss out on an opportunity that when they don't know exactly what they're looking for. Sometimes that might be the case too. But I, you know, one yeah. example, just this week, I had someone come back to me and said, you know, Chris, thank you for this opportunity, but I'm looking for a consulting partner who focuses in these particular industries. And I went back to them. I said, well, they do focus in these particular industries. Do I understand? Are we, are we not communicating on the same level here? Help me understand a little bit more about what you're seeing differently than than what I'm seeing as far as where their focus is. So I want to make sure that they're not overlooking something and I'm not overlooking something. And if this is a good fit and if it's, you know, if they just, sometimes they'll say there's other, you know, maybe there's other more, more to it than just that, but I try to at least have some good dialogue with the individual to understand what they're seeing about the role or about the, the, the client or about the industry they serve, what the clouds, whatever it is to make sure that, we're seeing eye to eye on the situation. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, what about um, being a client and needing to adapt? Like, are you seeing companies that are adapting? And uh, you know, I think for me, the ones that are adapting are are the ones that are securing talent and being a bit more flexible. But are you seeing companies that are just stuck in their ways and you know they're they're not willing to adapt, or is that changing? I, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing some more flexibility than I have in the past, right? Because I think 
if they're not going to change, they're not going to fill the role. I think that's really the, the bottom line. Now, it's not always for every company, right? But I, I'm trying to fill an architect role right now. And the client has had to adjust the salary up a couple of times and he's still willing to go up a little bit more. And he's, he, you know, the director of IT has called me two or three times and saying, Chris, what are you seeing out there? Where are we off by? Do I need to make other adjustments? Coach me, counsel me, talk to me about where you're running up against problems and I'll go back to our executive board to see if we can make some accommodations. Like first, you know, for example, it was an on-site role initially. And I said, well, for one, you're limiting your, your talent pool to about zero in this point, right? So that needs to be a, I'll still, I'll still work on finding someone that will come in the office in an in-office role, but it's going to take some time, right? And I'm going to get a lot more no's than even maybes or, you know, anything close to that. And then, so he adjusted that. And then he said, the salary is X, you know, where are we at that? I was like, well, that salary is low for the market conditions. See if you can bump it up by 10 or 15 grand. So he went back to his, his committee and was able to get an adjustment. So that type of situation is going to have to happen more and more now if they're finding that they're not seeing any candidates based on the current market condition. Now I have some customers that are kind of sent their ways. We only have budget of X, Chris. There's no flexibility on that. But then I tell them, well, we need to lower the skill set down. You can't find X number of experiences paying that Y salary. So let's make some accommodations on the skill set in order to be able to bring someone in that meets, you know, three of the 10 skills or four of the 10 skills, whatever the case may be. And so they've been able to accommodate that too. But, you know, Ben, I think the short answer is yes, clients are being a lot more flexible now and willing to hear us out because of, you know, one, I think they don't have much choice. And they need someone who's having these conversations with the job candidates day in and day out to help educate them along the way. Yeah, I was just looking down on my phone because the comment you just made, I, I, I write out my post prior to posting it every morning. Or, or And the, the one I've written this morning is Salesforce hiring managers. The market doesn't adapt to your budget. Your expectations need to adapt if your budget can't, which is exactly that, that right? Like the market doesn't say, oh, this company is paying 110. I'm going to like, we'll follow that. There are so many other factors in it. And a lot of the time you can't change the market. So you need to change what you can affect, which is your budget or your expectation. But even when companies do that, there are certain examples where, you know, I've got a client at the moment looking for some marketing cloud skills and they're the most flexible company ever. You know, like they'll, you can work from anywhere in Australia. The budget's good. The, the brand is really good, but I can't find anyone for them. And it's frustrating just because you know, their end customer and a lot of marketing cloud people at the moment want to work in consulting. And so obviously I, I've advised and they've they've listened, but still it's tough, you know, like it's just a tough market. There's just no two ways about it. That's right. That's right. And, you know, sometimes clients may say, well, I'm going to have to find some other recruiters. And I said, hey, you got to do what, what's, what's best for you. You can't, you know, you can't have just me and, and maybe one or two other people working on this if it's an immediate need. Like I'm doing the best I can within the parameters that you set. If you feel like having more recruiters work on this in parallel with me, then do what you need to do. Like, you're not going to hurt my feelings at the end of the day. I appreciate the opportunity and I'm still working on this with what I can. If you need to get some more lines in the water and, and use even your internal recruiting or the additional external recruiters, then, then do that. And I don't know if that really changes the equation or not. It just might, might make them feel like there's more lines in the water and maybe a, a couple additional resumes would, would come back with that. What's, what's your thoughts there, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a funny one because I think the, the market there is so much bigger and, you know, there, there might be pockets of candidates that, you know, are hidden and, and things like that. But here, like, I don't find that if we're struggling to fill a role, going to another recruiter solves that problem. 
you know, I think it, it could just be a timing thing. Like, you know, you might be hiring for a skill that's been hired at mass by another company in the last six months and, and people are, are six months into a new job and not looking, or, you know, there might be some, some other really attractive opportunities in the market at the moment that are taking precedent. But yeah, I, I don't think on the client side, I, I don't think it is a volume game um, in terms of agencies very often. I think it's, you know, just working with the right partner and, you know, nailing the flexibility, but then also taking feedback on board and 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 working in a true partnership. So, you know, it, sometimes you a company might just get lucky that there is a candidate on another agency's database that, you know, that other agent wasn't aware of. But I think if, if in a true partnership and, and, you know, there is commitment on both sides that you will find the right candidate eventually if you're partnering and being flexible and, and taking feedback on. It just sometimes just take, does take time. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't recommend always that just, just because then the, the same candidates are getting hit by the same in-mails and the same phone calls. Mm-hmm. That's true. And quite often the message is different, right? So mm-hmm. you know, a recruiter A might call up and say, you know, this is what's great about this role. Candidate B calls up and says, this is what's great about, and they might be like competing points. So yeah, I think, even though companies might be desperate to hire, they still need to be really um, aware of candidate experience. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe sometimes, like you say, having more lines in the water is a good thing in some, you know, if you need someone to start tomorrow, then yeah, maybe just having volume of agencies calling people, but then also does that give your brand a good perception to the market? I'm not sure. Yeah. And I try to be upfront with clients to say, listen, this is a hard role. It could take weeks. It could take a couple of months for me to fill, you know, I, I, I'm a small fish in the overall grand scheme of Salesforce recruiting. And, you know, I'm going to try and I, I'm pretty confident that I'll send you someone that's going to meet a majority of the skill set that you're looking for. I'm not going to waste your time with, with, you know, bogus resumes or candidates that aren't, that aren't the right match. And I, you know, I try to be frank as I can about these conversations with clients and hopefully it gains some trust and a level of accountability. Cause they asked me like, Chris, how long do you think it's going to take to fill this role? I'm like, well, it's going to take months sometimes if it's a technical architect role and, you know, you have all these different provisions in place and you're not willing to adjust those, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And I think then also being like really clear on if we do find you this person, you know, you have to move so quickly, like you have to move everything, like your diary, just drop everything else and, and react and get that person on board and then give them a really good experience because otherwise it's going to take another couple of months. It doesn't take much to, uh, to, to lose someone that's in high demand. And, uh, you know, this happens to me all the time. And it probably happens to you too. Like if, if it takes any more than a, a, a few days to get them in the, in the process and get them through a couple of interviews, let's just say a week to week and a half at most, I think you're in good shape. If it takes anything more than that, then you're possibly at, at a high risk of, of losing them. Yeah, I say five days is the the kind of, you know, the window of opportunity for a highly skilled resource that you've got. And that's from the moment you receive the CV. Mm-hmm. So like if you receive it on a Monday, get the offer out by Friday. And if it goes across the, the course of a weekend, then like you've got a bit of give. But yeah, like five days really is, is in my opinion, like five business days. Yeah, I mean, the longer you wait, that gives the candidate more time to see what else is out there right and, and and sometimes companies get a little arrogant and i get it they're like well if they're really interested they'll come work for us regardless of what other opportunities are out there i'm like well you, you, i mean you can believe that if you want but uh, unfortunately i don't think that's the truth that's what's going yeah. that's really going to happen yeah 100 percent. well look, even if no one listens to this i've thoroughly enjoyed the therapy session so yeah it's been good to catch up mate and uh, always a pleasure 
For sure, Ben. Thanks for having me. I really love these conversations with you and it can just be our, our audience of, of two here, if nothing else. <laughs> well, I know at least Gemma will listen to it because she'll be editing it shortly. But yeah, other than that, like, I'm sure people will, will find uh, what, what you say interesting. They always do. And uh, yeah, look, we'll, we'll have to lock in the next one again soon and when things settle down a bit. That sounds great, Ben. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible.